Welcome to the Revolutionary Health Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Center. I am a licensed clinician in search of how to live a meaningful and healthy life. I challenge both traditional and functional medicine ideologies in search of truth and wisdom. I allow room for curiosity and always keep an open mind. I enjoy deep conversations with my guests, giving them a safe space to share their research and personal observation, as I feel both equally contribute to the body of knowledge and human experience. Note that the opinions of my guests do not always reflect my own, whether I share that openly or not. And of course, the podcast is for educational purposes only. We do not offer medical advice. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for some intimate and unique discussions about finding wellness in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Revolutionary Health. I am your host, Stephanie Center. Today's topic is near and dear to my heart because there's very little information out there on this subject, and yet so many people are impacted by it. So what am I talking about? Lip and tongue ties. I became interested in the subject after my daughter was diagnosed with both a lip and a tongue tie. And here's the part that was really frustrating to me. This problem is so easy to detect and it's so simple to treat. And I had no clue it existed. So I was looking for answers in all the wrong places. Here's the quick story. When my daughter was born, nursing was immediately painful. Like I'm talking daggers painful. Since I had nothing to compare this to, she's my first child, I thought it was normal to be in excruciating pain while nursing. The lactation consultants that I mentioned this to at the hospital uh, did not seem to be worried about it at all. They gave me something called a nipple shield, and that seemed to be our temporary solution, which looking back uh, should have been a big, big red flag to me, honestly. So two months go by and I am suffering, and I feel like my daughter isn't getting enough milk, so I start to supplement with formula. And then I learn about something called a tongue tie. And I look under my daughter's tongue and plain as day, there it is. Within days, I scheduled an appointment with a holistic dentist and we had both her lip and tongue ties resected. I kid you not, moments after the procedure, she started nursing like a champ. And to my wonderful surprise, it wasn't painful. Here's the painful part. I call this the butterfly effect. In the beginning, so when my daughter was born, I was making plenty of milk for her. I had, I had enough to give, right? I was making, my supply was perfect. Uh, She just wasn't able to effectively pull the milk from me. So guess what? My supply started to tank fairly quickly because your body produces what the baby needs. And so if your body thinks the baby only needs the small amount, guess what? Your body's going to only produce a small amount. By the time I figured out what the problem was and had it corrected, my daughter was used to bottle feeding and that instant gratification that comes comes from that. And it was hard and still is hard sometimes to get her to be patient with nursing. On top of that, my supply never picked back up. And to be completely transparent and fair, I also had some things happen in my personal life after she was born that could have potentially affected um, her nursing. So... Those three things I consider the butterfly effect. And I think for me, the most frustrating part is I feel like the situation could have been prevented 
had I known the warning signs of what to look for and if I was better educated, because I'll tell you what, the midwives and I had, I had midwives, I had, I had, um, home birth midwives and I had hospital midwives, my doula, my lactation consultants, no one caught this. I did. And I guess the moral of the story here is no one is going to advocate or look out for your, your child like you are. And so I'm going to list to you the warning signs. There are five of them that now knowing these things now, I think I'm well equipped to exclusively breastfeed my next child. So warning sign number one, low B vitamins during pregnancy. Why is this a warning sign? Because your B vitamins are really important to preventing midline defects. So, and and this is, and I'm going to try to keep this in simple terms. So I apologize if this is a little scientific. I have something um, called uh, an MTHFR gene variation. I have a heterozygous variation of MTHFR. It basically is a, a methylation defect. That's that's probably the top, the high level way to say that. What that means is trouble processing B vitamins. And I think that for me, that's warning sign number two. If you have a genetic variation of MTHFR, then I would be on high alert. There's a, there's a really strong association between MTHFR and the development of midline defects, which is why if you've ever, you know, come off of birth control or you're telling your doctor, Hey, I'm going to, we're going to start trying for kids. They tell you to take a prenatal because they want you to get folate. They're going to tell you to take folic acid, which is not in your best interest if you have an MTHFR uh, variant because your body can't process folic acid um, and it's a synthetic form of folate. You just don't want that stuff in your body anyways, but especially if you have an MTHFR variation. So warning sign number one is low B vitamins and mine were low despite taking, uh, I took a methylated B12 and, and hindsight's always 2020. Now I've started looking into hydroxy B12 and I almost wonder if that might be a better solution, but jury's still out on that. So warning sign number one, low B vitamins. Warning sign number two, positive for an MTHFR gene variation. Warning sign number three, poor latch or painful nursing. Now nursing is going to be uncomfortable when you first start because your body's not used to being tugged there, right? Especially if this is your first child, but it shouldn't feel like tiny knives. It shouldn't feel like that. And if you feel like your kiddo isn't latching properly, if you feel like you have a hard time getting a good latch, that could be a sign that Maybe we should look at the infrastructure of the mouth and see why we're getting a poor latch or why we're getting a painful latch. Uh, warning sign number four, not getting enough milk. My baby was nursing and I could, and she was hungry after we were done nursing. I was producing enough milk. She just wasn't able to extract it again. That should prompt us to go, oh, let's look at the, the infrastructure. Let's look at the mouth. Warning sign number five, physical signs of lip and tongue tie. So it was real easy for me to sweep my finger under her tongue and fill that frenulum. That's the tissue that connects the tongue to the base of the mouth. And same for the lip tides. It looks like the lip is being tied down. So this is why we're talking about this today. Goodness, if I can prevent somebody listening from going through what I went through, I mean, that's the whole purpose of this. We're going to get into the weeds of what ties are, why it's important to revise them, what happens when we don't revise them, what are the procedure options for revision, and what is the recovery time like for them? We're going to briefly get into the MTHFR connection and talk about, can you prevent this from happening? Can you prevent a tie? But before I move on to this episode, I have two housekeeping items for you. The first one is 
this is going to be my last show for a little bit. I just need a break. I, I just had a baby and I'm adjusting to motherhood and, you know, I still work a full-time job. I'm coaching full-time and I'm trying to raise baby. And I really, I don't want to get burned out and I'm starting to kind of feel that way a little bit. So when I come back, I'm going to start doing two things. I'm going to start doing some solo episodes where you can learn about what I think on a subject and you can kind of understand my opinions and expertise. I think um, many of you that follow my work, you hear me interview people, but you don't always necessarily get to hear what I think about things. So I think that that would be um, helpful to everyone. And then I'm also, I need to do either advertisements or I need to figure out some way to monetize the podcast. You know, historically, I don't do ads or anything. And the reason or heart behind that is because I don't ever want you to feel like my opinions can be bought because they can't. My opinions are my own and I don't, I I want to be a credible source of information for you. The reality is I can't continue going. I actually, it costs me money to run this podcast. I don't benefit from it. So my time is of course a little bit more valuable now that I have a little one and I'm going to have to figure something out. So whether that means I do ads for companies that I, I really value and their values align with my own, or I need to figure that piece out. So you can expect to see that in the future. In the meantime, I am going to continue to share really great content on Instagram at Holistic Stephanie Marie. So go and find me there. I'm really active on that platform. I feel like I'm like an elder millennial, but I've learned how, I finally learned how to use Instagram well. And I have some really great resources on my page. I have uh, highlights for all different sorts of topics you might be interested in. I keep information up to date Uh, So that might be a good place to find me in the meantime. If you, so housekeeping item number two, sorry, that was a long housekeeping item. Housekeeping item number two, if you want to work with me, if you're ready to heal your gut or heal your hormone problems, and you're ready for functional lab testing, you're ready for customized support, send me an email at info.holistichouse at gmail.com or visit my website www.theholistichouse.org. I keep my caseload really small. So, you know, just reach out to me if you're interested and I can at least provide you with information and um, we can kind of go from there. Deep breath, everybody, because this episode is loaded with information. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Revolutionary Health. I am your host, Stephanie Center, and today I am sitting down with Dr. Nora Zaghi. She is a holistic dentist who performs tongue-tie, lip-tie releases, and she also practices holistic dentistry. Today, our topic is going to be on lip and tongue ties. I know that when I shared my daughter's personal journey with a lip and tongue tie and how that impacted our breastfeeding... I had so many listeners reach out saying, oh my goodness, me too. So I thought it was worth taking some time to sit down with a professional to talk about this topic. So welcome, Dr. Nora. I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we'll just dive on in. Can you describe, so, you know, it's really interesting. I consider myself to be a holistic practitioner, 
tongue tie, lip tie, that was not on my radar when I was pregnant. That wasn't something I was thinking about. And Mm. I did all the things, right. I took the B vitamins. I um, made sure to eat a lot of protein, well, well well-rounded foods. And this is something that I experienced and it wasn't even blatant to me. My daughter was six weeks old when I finally was like, oh, you have a tongue tie and this is a problem. So can you explain to us what a tongue tie and lip tie, what those things are and how they present themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Under our tongues, there's a band of tissue. It connects our tongue to the floor of the mouth and that's called a lingual lingual frenulum. And under our lid, we also have a frenulum that attaches our lip to the vestibule, to the gingiva. And this is called a labial frenulum. And we also have them in our cheeks, which are called buccal frenuli. And sometimes those bands can be unusually short or thick that makes them restricted or tied down. So tongue ties and other restricted frenulums in the mouth can affect feeding, cause mouth breathing, impair speech, predispose your child to more dental disease, cause sleep issues, grinding, and restrict the growth of the dental arches. And also there are some links to having fascia restrictions in the body that can affect the whole body and their health and our health. Wow. I didn't know that last part. That's interesting. So I know in your practice, you revise these ties. Why is it important for, so for our listeners out there, a lot of my listeners are moms of young kids. And so if they're listening and they're like, okay, now that I know what a lip tie or tongue tie, now that I know what those things are, why is it important to revise them? That's a really great question. And I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing it up specifically because we we all have these frenuli, but it's really about the function and the ability to do what the tongue needs us to do or the lip needs us to do initially when we're in, for example, in birth. What we notice is that when children have these tongue or lip ties or buckle ties, they have difficulty being able to transfer milk. So they might have ineffective feeds. They might, mother might have pain to the nipples or bleeding. And a lot of the times it's classified as just being normal by an LC or lactation consultant in in the hospital when baby is born. And the OBGYN might look at it and say, oh, well, the tongue is sticking out. So things will stick out. So things look okay. But there are classification scales and we're looking at the function of the baby. How is the baby latching? What are the feeds looking like? How long are the feeds? Is there clicking? And then we're also looking at the ability to latch. And we're also looking at what the frenulum actually looks like and what the function of the frenulum is, how the tongue is moving from side to side, how the tongue elevates to the palate, what the actual frenulum looks like. Is it short? Is it thick? Is it corded? Is it fibrous? These are all things that let us know, well, if there are symptoms of things being difficult or not being feeling right, it might be linked to how that frenulum is presenting. I myself, I've been treating tongue and lip ties for seven years or more. And I had, I've been treating this and I've been hearing these stories from moms of how, oh, I, after I got a release, things were better. The child started speaking, the child started eating more. And then when my own son was born in the hospital at like, right when he was born, I'm like, they tell you to do skin to skin. They put him on you and they're like, you should, you should try to breastfeed. So I tried and I'm like, ow, that really hurts. And then I tried again. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then I kept trying and then I noticed my nipples were bleeding. 
I looked under the tongue and lo and behold, I'm like, there's, there's a restrictive frenulum there. And the lactation consultant was like, no, it looks fine. Things are normal. And the OB was like, oh, things are normal. And I just said, okay, you, they don't know what I do for a living. So I can't blame them for saying this, but I tried to educate. And the truth of the matter is, is that there's very little to no training in medical school training, mm-hmm. lactation consultant training. There's just very little training in this because they don't teach this in school. It's something that you, requires you to go through advanced training and continued education in order to learn. And it takes a lot of practice too from seeing a lot of children, treating other children and also listening to the parents and listening and hearing how the patients are doing after patients are treated. So I think it's just important to listen to that mom instinct, that mom gut when you're seeing these issues and getting the perspective of of a specialist, of somebody that truly has experience in this. That's so encouraging to hear because I had a very similar situation in the hospital (laughs) and, you know, lip tie and tongue. I wasn't even, the problem is I wasn't even educated enough to know, to look for something like that. I didn't know that those problems existed. And looking, I mean, hindsight's 2020, but the lactation consultant that I had at the hospital, she was wonderful, by the way, I'm not speaking ill of anybody. She got out a nipple shield. She's like, this will help because my daughter had a really hard time latching and it was painful and I was bleeding. And so to me, looking back, I'm like, well, that was a sign that maybe I should have looked under her tongue or under her lip. And then when I got home and I had my first postpartum visit, the midwife I was seeing, she recommended this really expensive prescription nipple cream to prevent mastitis instead of trying to understand why the problem was happening. And that nipple cream did not obviously solve my problems because my daughter still had, didn't change the fact that my daughter had a poor latch. Um, Fast forward to six weeks later, my milk supply was starting to decrease because my daughter wasn't latching and she wasn't able to pull like she needed to. So I was having to oscillate between pumping and feeding to try to keep up. And I just feel, you know, the, I think the main reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is I went through a lot of heartache with that experience. And I feel like it could have been prevented had I known how to better advocate for my child and myself. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to protect the mother and baby dyad and be able to assist in any way possible in the breastfeeding journey because it's not baby, baby being on body is like home to the baby and you are the baby's first home. And it's important if that's what you want for your child. And it can even affect bottle feeding too. So it's not just breastfeeding and it can affect bottle feeding. It can affect a child's ability to speak, like I mentioned earlier, a child's ab- ability to chew certain text, chew foods with certain textures and swallow mm-hmm. in the future. So they, if things are brushed under the rug now in the future, it, it, affects, it ha- causes us to question how things will be in the future as well. Absolutely. So, so what would your encouragement be for adult listeners. So now that I know what a tongue tie is, I know that I have one too. (laughs) And so I'm probably not alone in that. A lot of mamas of babies with tongue ties also have tongue ties themselves. What is your encouragement for adult listeners that are just now learning? Oh, shoot. I have a tongue tie or I have a lip tie. Yeah. So 
it's really interesting to think about like the etiology of these tongue ties or these lip ties or these yeah. restrictive frenulum and there are components to it. And there's been a lot of talk about why is there this sudden increase of tongue and lip ties? Well, there are genetic factors, exactly like you just mentioned, like if your child has one, you might have one as well, or your partner might have one and grandparent might have one. In addition, there's epigenetic influences and these epigenetic genetic influences can include, well, your body only creates what it needs to do in order to chew, in order to function. And if we, since the industrialization of these processed foods, what we're noticing is that we don't have to chew and use our tongue as much in order to swallow. So what we can, what we can theorize is that our tongue's mobility might be affected by these changes in our diets. Also, we're noticing just from, and like, skeletal skeletal changes um, from anthropologists that people's jaws are narrower than they were hundreds of years ago. And what we're noticing is more wisdom teeth extractions. Why? Because our jaws are essentially smaller because we're only producing epigenetically what we need. So we can also theorize how this can be, um, how this can relate to tongue and lip ties, right? Because we're only creating what our body needs. And there, there's a, there's a process of apoptosis that occurs in utero around, I believe, 36 to 30 week, 38 weeks in utero, where we allow that frenulum to mobilize. And what we're seeing is that children that might be premature are more, more, more likely to have issues with potentially tongue and lip ties. Oh, and wow. we're also noticing that there's something called the methetrahydrofolate reductase deficiency, MTHFR. Mm -hmm. And this MTHFR mutation can also affect the child's potential to have a tongue or a lip tie or a restrictive frenulum. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is that in our supplements, prenatal supplements, there's a lot of there's a, there could be, there's more predilection of having folic acid rather than methylated folate. And what we're noticing is that methylated folate plays a role in tongue and lip ties. So ankyloglossia is closely related to these patients that have MTHFR mutation. So there is a study, there's a few studies that show the link between ankyloglossia and tongue tie. There are studies that also show that patients that potentially are not taking enough folate, potentially have tongue and lip ties. So I definitely think that there is a relationship there and that we should explore. And if you're a mom that's expecting, you know, it's a great idea, just like a little tip. I think it's a great idea to know if you have the MTHFR mutation, because there are things that you should do to help you um, and things that you should eat to help you just in your overall function, your health and wellness and your being and also prenatally, just having the idea that just having the understanding that you might need to have a prenatal supplement that does take into account folate or methylated folate. Mm -hmm. I personally am have MTHFR. I did not know that I had MTHFR until I was in my residency. And I remember when I was in dental school, we had something called I'm I'm homozygous uh, and I have like multiple variants so I didn't know the severity 
And I was doing, I was also taking folic acid instead of folate. And I noticed how tired I would get. Yeah. And I'm so frustrated by that because I'm like, I'm doing my supplements. I'm eating well. Like, why am I always so tired? I felt like I had chronic fatigue. And then when we were in school, we had to test nitrous oxide on each other, which is laughing gas. And this was in dental school, not in my residency. And I noticed, I'm like, oh, this does not make me feel good. And everybody was having the time of their life on it. I'm like, why am I having such a hard time? And I felt so sick that day. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward, I went into residency and I tried it again. And when I went into residency, I'm like, oh, same thing happened. And then when I had my results come back and I had, I realized I had MTHFR and my mutations and the variants and et cetera, I realized I'm like, oh, this is why nitrous oxide didn't make me feel good. And my son, fast forward many years later, my son had a tongue tie and it all just made sense. Right. So I think I definitely think it's important for you to know, just so you can make sure you take the right supplements prenatally. I'm currently five months pregnant. I'm taking the same. Congratulations. I'm taking the, I'm I'm prepared for that baby to potentially have a tongue tie when the next one, but in addition, you know, taking the right supplements, taking folate, I'm having my levels checked regularly to make sure that I'm on par with where I need to be. And I think, it's important just for your dentist to know, your pediatric dentist or your functional or holistic dentist to know about your if you have this mutation because there's ways to detoxify. And if you do have nitrous oxide, for example, like I use, I give them like a detox plan and a, and a pre-procedural plan so oh. that, so like if my patient is going through a sedation, for example, or they're having like um, any to- like nitrous oxide potentially, what we want to do is we want to be able to clear the system of that. Mm-hmm. So MTHFR kind of does not allow us to clear the, our system as easily. So yeah. I have a detox um, homeopathy. I use a homeopathy that I have curated by another holistic pediatrician. And I do that pre and post operatively. And I think moms that don't have access to that, just know you could do Epsom salt baths afterwards increase folate rich foods for about three to five days afterwards have and like blueberries that are wild for example and that just helps Mm. us clear as often as we can and yeah it just helps in so many different ways when we know what could potentially be causing these issues oh I love that answer so much you know it's like it's just so funny how the body's intuitive before I knew what MTHFR was I have a heterozygous variant I found myself just drawn to wild blueberries because they made me feel good. And it's like, you know, my body didn't need to know all of that science to understand this, this food makes me feel better. Um, so, so if you're listening, I hope what you took from Dr. Nora's answer is if you are, are pregnant and you're, you're wanting to support your body. I, I don't know if you can necessarily completely prevent a tongue tie from happening, but you can certainly support your body by doing things like methylated B vitamins, high folate rich foods, and then making sure to look on the label of your supplements that it's, that it is a methylated form of folate and not folic acid, which is common in in prenatal supplements. And then also when you're shopping, and I know you bring this up a lot, but when you're shopping, just looking at the labels and making sure that you're not buying foods that are enriched with folic acid, because that can like crackers and, and breads this also they're enriched with folic acid which could really hurt make us not feel well 
So mm-hmm. those are, these are things that you can think about. And I know you did ask me a question. I totally <laughs> dived deep into something t- different, which happens when I get excited about it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> about what this can lead to when you get older, if, yes. he's, if it's untreated. And like I said, it kind of it kind of trickles up, uh, it trickles down as you get older. So it can start with these feeding issues and lead to speech and language problems. What we're noticing is when children are a little bit older, they have difficulty with T, D, L, Ns, Ss, and then rolling the Rs. And then the Ks and the Gs are hard to say because they use the back of the tongue, which is a posterior, which people classify as potentially symptoms of a posterior tongue tie where the back of the tongue is restricted. And then connecting those sounds becomes a little bit difficult too. So working with a speech therapist is really great, but working with a speech therapist that has a myofunctional therapy background Mm -hmm. is even more helpful because they're able to help you with the tongue function, with strengthening the muscles of the tongue, and then potentially preparing for a release if indeed you do decide to do so. And then when we get a little bit older, what we notice is that children with tongue ties tend to have narrower and smaller jaws. And the reason is, is because when we look at how our jaws are shaped, it's our top arch is, is created or is formed around our tongue. So our tongue being on the roof of the mouth helps us form form our top arch, our roundness of our top arch. When the tongue remains low, what we're finding is because form follows function, that their top arch can become smaller and then our bottom arch can also remain small or have asymmetries Mm -hmm. um, and cause crowding. And what we're noticing is that crowding is really just a symptom of an underdeveloped airway. And these and these this crowding can create can cause us to have some red flags to have sleep disordered breathing. And this is because what we notice is when the tongue is tied down, when we sleep, all the muscles on our body relax, including the 16 muscles of our tongue. So when we sleep, that tongue, because it's tied down and because it could be more weak or low toned could fall back into the airway and cause sleep apnea. So sleep disorder, Mm. breathing, snoring. Sometimes there are no sounds being made and it could just be signs of effortful sleeping and trying to breathe. Kids that sleep with their mouth open, kids that have their jaws forward, kids with like chest retractions when they sleep. And Mm. this is all signs of potential sleep disorder, breathing that can be related to tongue tie. And when we mouth breathe, what happens is, is that We don't use our nose to breathe. And the beauty about being able to use our nose to breathe, it filters all the viruses and bacteria that's in the air. And if we don't filter those viruses and bacteria that's in the air, they essentially go straight into our airway and they can cause inflammation in our throat and in our tonsils. And that can cause tonsillar adenoid hypertrophy, tonsillar hypertrophy or adenoid hypertrophy and cause our tonsils and adenoids to become enlarged and inflamed and cause us to have difficulty breathing. So we also notice children that mouth breathe get sick more often. They have poor sleep. They might, it might affect their behavior and that could lead to adulthood with having those small jaws and airway issues to having TMJ problems. And it also can lead us to have grinding because which can affect the further perpetuate this TMJ issue because what happens is, is that when you're sleeping and then your body is trying to open up the airway, what we notice is that people push the lower jaw forward 
mm-hmm. to kind of open up the airway, kind of like CPR, right? When you're pushing the lower jaw forward to have mm-hmm. open up the airway to breathe. And then what happens is, is that they're pushing their teeth together that results in that grinding, right? And that's just one of the one of the causes of grinding. But there is a study that we performed that shows that there is a direct relationship and a causative relationship between individuals with tongue ties and grinding and individuals with enlarged tonsils and grinding. So these this goes to show you the slew of effects that can happen um, over time when things are untreated. And then when we get into adulthood, kind of cause that sleep apnea to perpetuate. But also what it can do is cause us to have a lot of neck, jaw, and shoulder pain. And the reason is, is that we use our tongue for so much. And that tongue, the base of the tongue is the start of a fascia system or fascia system. So if you look, if if you're very interested, I think it's fascinating Mm -hmm. to look into um, the deep front line and look at a dissection of the fascia system from the deep front line. You could see that that starts from the base of the tongue all the way down to our toes. And if we have a restriction somewhere in that deep front line, it can affect the rest of the parts of our body. And it lines our organs, our ribs, and it causes us to help, it helps us. So if when we have these tongue restrictions, what can happen is, is that we have fascia restrictions in our body. So a lot of patients, when they're older, they have these functional releases um, by my husband specifically, who does older people, I I see the the little ones, but he sees the older, the um, adolescents and elderly, middle-aged, everybody. And what he notices is that when people get these tongue tie releases alongside craniosacral therapy, osteopathy, body work, um, myofunctional therapy, and more, what happens is, is that they have this full body release because wow. they feel like everything in their body just tends to open. People's shoulders roll back, they're their heads go forward. Um, they start to position themselves more upright and everything just tends to relax in their whole body. And we hear from these patients when we learn so much, when we listen, we hear from them that like, wow, like all this pain that I had in the shoulder went, went away. Yeah. And we work with a lot of physical therapists that come and, and confirm these, these effects that occur to these patients. So it's quite amazing to see. Wow. That's, you're just blowing my mind. So I want to make sure I understand something right. So what you were saying is the ideal position of the tongue when you're at rest is towards the roof of your mouth. So if you're listening in your tongue, when you go to sleep, if you notice your tongue is at the base of your mouth, that's a problem. The floor of the mouth. That's a problem. Okay. And you're saying when your tongue is at the roof of your mouth, that allows those muscles to relax and there's a ripple effect. And when you're at the base, your muscles are more tense. Um, no, it's not necessarily it's when the tongue is low, it just causes that mouth breathing and causes the weak, the low tongue posture. Uh, It's really the frenulum being restricted in itself that causes Mm -hmm. tension in the body. Ah, okay. Got it. Due to the fascia system, due to the deep front line Uh that we're noticing when we see, when we see releases as patients get older. So you would rec you would maybe recommend adult listeners who re- who are like oh I think I have this to maybe go see an ENT or a holistic dentist and get it looked at and and get a recommendation. I I actually think that um it's more 
I think you're better off seeing a airway focused dentist that has trained advanced expertise in tongue ties because they're going to be able to help you a little bit more in finding these hidden or less obvious tongue ties that ENTs don't seem to to okay. be able to to catch. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I was thinking about this in the perspective. So one of my worst fears is being like 80 years old and on mechanical soft diet because I can't <laughs> swallow my food, you know, just, I worked in a nursing home for a very long time. And I, I just am like, I want to be able to eat real food until the day I die. And so it sounds like this could potentially cause swallowing issues in later adulthood. If you continue, if it continues to go unchecked and you have that, um, you said, I love the way you said, uh, form, form follows function or, or something to that degree. It sounds yeah. like if you leave this untreated, uh, you could potentially have issues it, with maybe speech or swallowing or airway, uh, when you reach kind of your, your end of life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, it's really important to acknowledge and, um, just like pinpointing your symptoms, you know, writing your, writing these symptoms down. If you're noticing any of these symptoms that I'm bringing up, them down and then when you have a consultation or you see your airway focused dentist or your if you decide to start working with a myofunctional therapist um that's just going to help you in being able to tackle these issues and starting starting from somewhere yeah absolutely do you think that it's going back to um pregnancy is do you think it's possible to prevent a tongue tie by taking methylated bees or do you think what do you think the relationship is there? Is it more complicated than that? I think it's more complicated than that, but I definitely think there's a relationship there. And if you mm -hmm. are aware, I think it's important to take the methylated bees mm -hmm. uh, rather than folic acid, and, and especially, specifically, especially when you have the MTHFR mutation. I don't know if you can necessarily prevent it because I mean, I'm, I'm one person to state, you know, I did all the right things and my child still had a posterior tongue tie but things immediately became better thereafter. And I could say the same for many of the patients I've treated too, which is, I think, really encouraging for moms that are possibly going through the same struggles. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm really glad you you mentioned that. And I also wanted to say as somebody who my daughter had a, she had a tongue tie and a lip tie release. They did, they, the holistic dentist that we saw said, we think she needs both. Um, and I was so afraid because I didn't, you know, when you're a new mom, you're like, I don't want my kid to be in pain. And just, I was a hot mess. And my daughter was back there for all of 45 seconds. It was so fast. And by the time I got back to her and she never cried or anything, she, she was a little, um, uneasy, just, I think more so because she was around strangers and not around mama. But as soon as I walked in the room, she was all smiles and she nursed immediately and she nursed well immediately. It was like a night and day difference. And I know that that's not going to be everyone's experience, but that was my experience. And so it was 110% worth it for us to get that procedure done just so that my daughter could get, because like you said, I love the way you said that this is, we are our baby's first home. Like she just felt at home on my chest and she still to this day feels it like that's her safe space. And to be able to nourish her while she's there was just, a, it was a huge turning point in our relationship. And I'm so, so grateful that we had it done and it's not as scary as it sounds. 
Oh no, it's not. I'd love to take a patient, uh, take you through it. So when we yeah. do a tongue, when we do a tongue tie release or lip tie release, what we start with is just by talking to mom about like symptoms, what they're going through and listening to their story. And I love hearing birth stories and see, feel it under having an understanding of how the, how the patient, the baby was positioned within the womb, how the labor was, because that tells me so much about how baby is doing now mm-hmm. and the relate their ability to feed and how their um their body is. If there's a lot of tension in the body, we can sometimes relate it to the birth history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also when then I start doing an intraoral assess an extra oral assessment by looking at the baby and their cranial, like how their symmetry of the cranial, their cranial position, their head turning preferences. I also look at the tongue and then I, and the lips and, and the buccal mucosa to see if there are any restrictions. I also, I look at the tissue. I touch the tissue. I look at the tongue function, how it lateralizes, how it elevates, how the baby is sucking, if that's where they are in time. Um, and then we make a determination together if it's best to treat or not. Um, when we, if we decide to treat, we put the baby in a little swaddle and with mom and we place a little bit of topical anesthetic just to help them, uh, be more comfortable in the procedure. I place that topical anesthetic there. When I start to notice that their lip feels a little numb, it usually takes about a minute to take baby into the laser procedure room. And we have baby goggles, safety goggles that we place on them. And the safety goggles are there just to help them stay safe. And I use something called a CO2 laser just due to the precision and the accuracy. And I also use it because there's less of a chance of bleeding. So immediately after we don't notice bleeding, I rarely to never notice any bleeding. It takes about 10 to 15 seconds to release. (laughs) And usually it's just the fact that they're away from mom, like you mentioned, and they have those glasses on that they, if they cry, right? (laughs) Because they're they're numb already. takes about 10 to 15 seconds per sight, bring mom, baby right back to mom. Hopefully they feed, which would be amazing. And we also go through some post-operative stretching. Yeah. And that post-operative stretching, I think I find to be really important just to make sure that there's no sticking or reattachment of the tissue, because that can happen. And we do it about nine seconds per day. So nine, nine seconds per day, just to make sure that there's no reattachment. And I think what I find to be the most important is the post-operative appointments that I have with my patients. I try, I actually just recently changed this to seeing them hopefully five days after if they can. And then I try to see them again a week after that. And then I see them three months after that. And I see them six months after that. And then I see them every six months from there to follow. And that's because I'm always checking to make sure that things don't come, um, like don't arise in the future. And I think continued care is important because like I mentioned before, as we talked about like the slew and the effects, it's not just all about the tongue. It's about the whole entire body mm-hmm. and the whole baby. And like I mentioned, birth history can play a role in that whole baby. They're feeding like in six months after birth, you know, in just a few months, you're going to be feeding solids. Can you imagine? You're going to be giving foods and they might need some support or 
somebody to somebody that I'm, I should refer them to, or were you noticing that the jaw isn't developing properly, or they need help transitioning off of a pacifier? These are all things that I can help with as the child gets older, but a mom doesn't know what they don't know. And even, you know, I just had a fourth time mom in like a couple days ago, and even a fourth time mom needs, needs help because things change. And not only do things change, but there are different ways that people do things. And every child is so, so different. So something that works for one kid might not work for another. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love your continuity of care. That's, I, I wish we had that. I don't know of a holistic dentist near me that has that kind of continuity. I would have loved to have done a follow-up with the dentist that performed this procedure to, to have that. I mean, now that you've mentioned it, I can obviously make an appointment with her. I just didn't, you, you, you're right. You don't know what you don't know. And we did do our exercises that, that was probably the hardest part for me because the babies don't like sticking fingers in mouths. And so I would have dad do the exercise and then I would nurse her right after as like, yeah. you're, you're, you're okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I'm, I'm really grateful that we had that procedure because it really, it really changed things for us. And and now knowing what I know now, if, and when we have a second child, I will be on top of that and we will get that procedure done earlier, um, next go around. If that is, if that is our situation again, Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, so where I live, we had two options when navigating a tongue tie. We had uh, clipping, which is, I, I think, scissors of some kind. And then we had the CO2 laser that you were mentioning. Um, and we ultimately decided to go with the laser for the reasons that you you talked about. There's kind of less downtime. It's not as much, not really, we didn't have any bleeding. Um, and she never seemed to be in pain. Um, and so I'm just wondering, is there like pros and cons to clipping and laser? When it, When is one more appropriate than the other? If you can kind of walk us through that. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to an understanding of which is more effective or appropriate, uh, it really comes down to like where it, you are in the tissue and the skill and the expertise of the practitioner. Mm -hmm. There are providers that are really extremely skilled and knowing the anatomy of the tongue and understanding the anatomy of the lip or the, or the buccal mucosa. And that gives them I would say more of have, have, they have more skill and expertise to be able to navigate when using scissors. Many providers do not have that skill or expertise and using something like a CO2 laser due to that precision and that accuracy and a decreased risk of heme, it makes it a lot safer of a choice to mm -hmm. use a laser. I have myself used scissors and I have also used lasers. And I find that I use the laser because not because of my skill or my expertise, it's really just because of that heme control. Mm -hmm. And I that's why I use it. And I, I do feel like it's a wonderful tool. It's really precise and accurate and really quick. But if an individual is using scissors, that's just something that you have to note that there might be some bleeding there after. And it's some and if and if your child is healthy and you have no bleeding disorders in your family, the bleeding usually does stop. It doesn't mean that your child won't have a deep enough release or your child won't have an effective enough release if they do use scissors. It's just that, like you said, that downtime and that heme that might come into and play a role. 
Wonderful. Well, this was such a eye-opening conversation for me. I feel like I learned so much from you. I know that in your practice, you, you do lip and tongue ties, but you also do holistic dentistry. And I'm <coughs> wondering if you could just share a little bit about what you do as somebody, my husband had metal fillings and we did our due diligence searching for somebody to replace the metal fillings because metal fillings have mercury in them. Um, that's why you don't want them in, in your mouth. And when we were talking before we were, were recording, you mentioned that you use like special BPA free fillings. And back when we were on this journey, we didn't even know that that was a thing. We just assumed like probably a lot of people listening that the non-metal fillings are all created equal. And that is not true. So I just wanted to, to ask you to share a little bit about that. Yeah, really, really important topics. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, this up. And I think it's just important to have an understanding of what like full body focused dentistry is. And it's focused around providing like biologically compatible treatment options, minimally invasive or conservative treatments, and really getting to the root cause of disease. So this for me is focused around providing treatments like ozone, BPA or BPA free, free of BPA derivative products. I do give fluoride free products in my practice. And I focus a lot on education and prevention with options like hydroxyapatite that's minimally invasive and made of organic matter because that's what our teeth are actually made of. And then when we look at traditional dentistry, it's a band-aid. A lot of times it's a band-aid for the problem. There's a cavity, we fix it. There's a crooked tooth, we straighten. There's clenching or grinding, we put a night guard. But what we really need to seek out is the why. So why is the child having the cavities or the individual? Is their mouth breathing? Is their diet? Is there a nutritional deficiency? Like what's the root cause of the problem and how can we resolve it? And especially with nutrition. And I think what it's really important to note is that when we do have restorations done for whatever reason, these restorations, if we can, to we should make them as low talk, have low toxins as possible, low toxic load, especially if an individual has SNPs or genetic mutations, but really just for our whole body and health. And there are studies, and I learned about these studies when I was in my residency of when you have a a restoration placed with BPA or BPA derivatives, you mm -hmm. place it in no matter how well you isolate it. I don't know if you, if you ever had a restoration before they suck out your saliva or they place something um, in that area to make sure that the area is very guarded and isolated so that the rest of the mouth, you can't swallow what's there. Mm -hmm. When you have, even when you have the best isolation in the first 24 hours after the restoration is placed, what we find is that in the urine, there's BPA that we, when we test in the first 24 hours. And over time, what we do know is that we're using our teeth to chew, to function. Some people grind. So what's happening? There's leakage. There's BPA being able to be released into the bloodstream when that happens. So mm -hmm. when, when we have if we do have the opportunity or the option to have BPA free or free of BPA derivatives as restorative um, restorative options, then we should go ahead and do that. So like I get all of my products from Germany, they're sourced from Germany and they are free of BPA derivatives and BPA. And um, that's for that very reason, you know, these people are, for adults, we're gonna have these restorations hopefully for the rest of our lives, right? And they're made of something, they're ceramic based, which is really cool. 
which many kids have don't have the option to do. I'm like one, one of them, I have some colleagues that use it, but very rarely can you find it. So you have to seek the right provider and you can ask. And if you ask, you'll know, which I think is really great. I really love Dr. Nora, how you, it seems like you do things the right way. <laughs> and that's, it's really, um, that's really encouraging for me to hear, um, just connecting with other people in, in the health field who truly care about people's overall well-being and are doing, you know, doing their, whatever vein of practice they are in, whether it's chiropractic dentistry, whatever it is, they're, they're doing things the right way. I love the way you follow up with your, with your patients. Uh, I love the way that you advocate for them by using non-toxic products. Uh, and I love that you educate. I feel like knowledge is power. And when we know better, we do better. So educating your patients with, with tools that can help them take that knowledge at home and, and, you know, continue on. So anyways, I just, I'm a huge fan of what you do. I just really love the way your practice is operated. I wish you were local because <laughs> I would go to you. Oh, you're so your, your practice is in Los Angeles. Yeah. We're awesome. in Los Angeles, California. Okay. Awesome. Well, listeners, um, I hope you, you learned a lot. I certainly did in this conversation. I will, you can find Dr. Norazagi's information in the show notes. And uh, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Dr. Nora, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yay. All right, everyone. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you found the information in this episode to be valuable, please share it with a friend. If you have any anyone in your life who's expecting or um, is thinking about starting a family, this episode is really going to be helpful to them in preventing a bad situation that I went through. If you really like this episode, consider leaving a rating and review. I don't pay to advertise this podcast this grows just from you all sharing this awesome information. So I really do appreciate any ratings and reviews. And uh, just one more reminder, follow me on Instagram at holistic Stephanie Marie. It's H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C-S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-M-A-R-I-E. Holistic Stephanie Marie, all one word. And you can stay up to date with my content there. And I will be letting y'all know uh, when the next episode will air. I'm thinking about interviewing somebody. I finally found an expert on EMS. And so I'm thinking about interviewing somebody there in that space soon, but I don't have a, a record date or an air date for that just yet. If you subscribe to the podcast, as soon as that episode airs, you'll get it just in your library. Um, but that's probably the best way to go about things moving forward. Oh, all right, everyone. It was so great to reconnect with you. Time for the real world again. Be well and be kind.